in imitation of Christ. We now come to Book 4, which is entitled A Reverent Recommendation to Holy Communion. of the Lord. Come to me, all you that labor and are burdened. I will give you rest. This bread which I am to give is my flesh, given for the life of the world. Take, eat, this is my body, given up for you. Do this for a commemoration of me. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. The words I have been speaking to you are spirit and life. Christ must be received with great reverence. The voice of the disciple. O Christ, eternal truth, these are your words, though they were not spoken all at one time or recorded all in one place. They are your words and they are true, and so I must accept them with gratitude and faith. They are yours, you spoke them. They are mine as well, because you proclaim them for my salvation. I receive them gladly from your lips, so that they may be firmly grafted in my heart. Such loving words, so full of sweetness and affection, they draw me to you, but my own sins frighten me. When I think of receiving so great a mystery, the knowledge of my guilt keeps me away. Your sweet words invite me, but the weight of my sins holds me back. You bid me come to you with confidence if I wish to have any companionship with you. You bid me take the food of immortality if I desire to attain eternal life and glory. Come to me, you say, all you that labor and are burdened. I will give you rest. How sweet and kind that sounds to a sinner. For you, O Lord my God, are here inviting one who is destitute and worthless to share your most holy body. But who am I, Lord, to presume to approach you? The very heavens cannot contain you, and yet you say, Come to me, all of you. What does it mean, this affection and kindness, this loving invitation? How dare I come, when I know there's no goodness in me to give me a right to come? How can I bring you into my house, when I've so often offended your kindly eyes? The angels and archangels feel awe before you, the saints and the upright fear, and yet you say, Come to me, all of you. If anyone said this but you, Lord, who would believe it was true? If anyone called us but you, Lord, who would dare to draw near? Noah was a good man, and he worked for a hundred years to build the ark, so that he and a few others might be saved. How can I in one hour prepare myself to receive with reverence him who built the world? Moses, your servant, was a great man and your special friend. He built an ark of imperishable wood and covered it with the purest gold so that he could put in it the tablets on which the law was written. Shall I, a creature subject to decay, find it so easy to receive you, the author of that law, the giver of all life? Solomon, the wisest of the kings of Israel, was seven years building a splendid temple to bring honor to your name and the festival of its dedication 
He celebrated for eight whole days. He offered a thousand peace offerings and laid the Ark of the Covenant in the place prepared for it with all solemnity and rejoicing and the sound of trumpets. How can I bring you into my house when I'm such a poor creature, the most worthless of men, who hardly know how to spend half an hour in devotion? Why, I find myself wishing I'd even once spent half an hour as I ought. How eager they were to please you, O oh my God! How feeble is the little that I do! How short the time I spend on preparing myself to communicate! Rarely do I gather my thoughts together. Very rarely am I free from all distraction. Yet in the healing presence of the very Deity, surely no unfitting thought should cross my mind. No created thing should occupy my thinking. It's no angel, but the Lord of angels that I am to receive as my guest. Yet there's a great difference between the Ark of the Covenant and the relics it held, and your most pure body with its inexpressible virtues, between those sacrifices that the law established to foreshadow what was yet to come, and the true offering of your body, bringing to fulfilment all the sacrifices of old, why then do I not prepare with more concern to receive your holy gifts, seeing that those saints of old, the patriarchs and prophets, the kings and princes with all their peoples, showed such feeling and devotion when they worshipped God? David, that devout king, went dancing with all his might before the ark of the Lord, as he recalled the blessings God gave to his ancestors. He made musical instruments and composed songs of praise, he taught the people to sing with joy, and himself played upon the harp as the Holy Spirit breathed upon him. He taught the people of Israel to praise God with all their hearts, and daily to bless him and proclaim his name with sweet-sounding voices. If they felt such devotion and were so moved to praise God when they saw the Ark of the Covenant, how much reverence and devotion ought to be felt by me and every Christian person in the presence of the sacrament, in receiving the most excellent body of Christ. Many people go running off to various places to see the relics of the saints. They hear about the miracles they did, and gaze in wonder at the great churches built over them. They feast their eyes on their holy bones wrapped up in silk and gold, and press their lips to them. Yet here, before my eyes on the altar, you, my God, are present yourself, holier than all the saints, Creator of men and Lord of angels. It's curiosity and the love of novelty that takes men to see such things, but they return with little harvest in the way of improved lives, especially when they embark on such visits thoughtlessly and with no real sorrow for sin. But here, in the sacrament of the altar, you are wholly present, my God, the man Christ Jesus. And whenever you are received worthily, and with real devotion, there the rich harvest of eternal salvation is brought in. Men are not drawn there by thoughtlessness or curiosity, or the desire to gratify the senses, but by firm faith, reverent hope, and sincere love. O unseen God, establisher of the world, how wonderful you deal with us, how gentle and how gracious is your design for those you have chosen when in the sacrament you set your very self before them, that they may take you. This thought surpasses all understanding. 
This above all draws the devout and kindles love in their hearts. Your true believers, who lay open their whole lives to be put right, through this most worthy sacrament receive the grace of devotion and the love of goodness. How wonderful is the hidden grace of the sacrament! Only true believers know it, while unbelievers and those who are slaves to sin can have no knowledge of it. In this sacrament, grace is granted to the spirit, lost virtue restored to the soul, and beauty renewed that was marred by sin. This grace is sometimes so great and brings such richness of devotion that not only the mind but the weak body too is conscious of power imparted to it. In Christ lies all the hope and merit of those who shall be saved, and yet we do not feel a stronger love impelling us to partake of him. What sorrow and grief we should feel at our coldness and lack of concern. For he is our sanctification and our atonement. He is the comfort of the traveller and the eternal joy of the saint. It's a sad thing that so many people pay so little attention to the saving mystery, which fills heaven with joy and brings this whole world health. How hard and blind the heart of man must be to give so little thought to this unspeakable gift, and even to drift into indifference through seeing it every day. If this most holy sacrament were celebrated in one place only in the whole world, what a longing would draw men to that place and to such a priest of God, so that they too might see the celebration of the divine mysteries. But as it is, many have been made priests, and Christ is offered up in many places, and by the diffusion of this holy communion throughout the whole world, God's grace and love to man is more fully revealed. Good Jesus, Eternal Shepherd, we bring our thanks to you, because you graciously refresh us poor exiles with your precious body and blood, and with your own lips you invite us to share this mystery, saying, Come to me, all you that labor and are burdened. I will give you rest. The sacrament reveals God's great goodness and love towards man. The Disciple Trusting in your goodness and great mercy, Lord, I come. Sick, I come to my Saviour. Hungry and thirsty to the well of life. Needy to the King of Heaven. A servant to my Master. A creature to my Maker. Distressed to him who loves and comforts me. But how can it happen that you should come to me? Who am I that you offer me yourself? How can a sinner dare to enter your presence? How can you stoop to come to a sinner? You know your servant. You know there's no good in him that you should give him this. So I confess my worthlessness, but your goodness I acknowledge, your mercy I praise, and my thanks I offer for your great love. It's for your own sake that you do this, not because I deserve it. You want me to know your goodness. You want to grant me love and commend humility. Since you are content with this, since you have commanded that it should be so, I too am content that you should honor me, if only my wickedness did not stand in your way. O Jesus, most sweet and kind, what reverence and gratitude and never-ceasing praise we owe you for the privilege of receiving your holy body, whose worth no man living can express. What thoughts shall fill my mind in this communion as I draw near to my God? 
I cannot worship him as I ought, and yet I long to receive him with devotion. The best and most profitable thing I can do is to humble myself utterly before you and exalt your infinite goodness over me. I praise you, my God, and exalt you forever. Myself I despise, and I submit to your will in the abyss of my worthlessness. See, you are the saint of saints, and I am the foulest of sinners. Yet how amazing! You stoop down to me when I am not fit to raise my eyes to you. To think that you come to me, you desire my company, you invite me to your feast. You want to give me the bread of heaven, the food of angels to eat, your very self, the living bread that has come down from heaven and gives life to the whole world. See the love streaming out. See what graciousness is shining there. What thanks and praise we owe you in return. What thought for our salvation and well-being you showed when you instituted this. How sweet and lovely you made the feast when you gave yourself for food. How wonderful, O Lord, are your acts. How strong your might. How infallible your truth. You gave the word and everything was made. And this is done which you commanded. It's a wonderful thing and worthy of faith. A thing beyond all human understanding. That you, O Lord my God, true God and true man, are wholly contained in the form of a little bread and wine, and are eaten by those who receive you, and yet are not consumed. Lord of all, you have no need of anyone. It was your choice to live within us by the sacrament of yours. Preserve my heart and body without stain, that with a glad, clear conscience I may be enabled to celebrate these mysteries often, and to receive to my salvation this sacrament that you've authorized and established to bring you special honor and to be a perpetual commemoration. My soul, rejoice and offer thanks to God for this noble gift, this wonderful source of consolation left you in this veil of tears. Whenever you repeat this mystery and receive the body of Christ, you perform the work of your redemption and become a sharer in all the merits of Christ. For the love of Christ is never diminished. His great atonement can never be used up. You should therefore always prepare yourself for this by a renewal of your mind and think most carefully about this great mystery that brings salvation. Whenever you celebrate or hear Mass, it will seem as new, as wonderful and as joyful to you as if on this very day Christ first came down to the Virgin's womb and was made man, or hung on the cross and suffered and died for man's salvation. It's a help to communicate often. The Disciple See, Lord, I come to you that I may be blessed with your gift and gladdened at your holy banquet which in your goodness, O God, you have provided for the needy. In you, Lord, is all that I can or should desire. You are my salvation and redemption. You are my hope and my strength, my beauty and my glory. Gladden the heart of your servant this day, for to you, Lord Jesus, do I lift up my soul. I desire to receive you now with reverence and devotion. I long to bring you to my house, so that I may receive a blessing with Zacchaeus and be counted among the sons of Abraham. My soul is longing for your body. My heart desires to be one with you. Give yourself to me, 
and I shall be content, for nothing other than you can really comfort me. I cannot exist without you. Without your presence I have no strength to live. Therefore I must come to you often and receive you for my healing and my salvation, else I shall grow faint on my journey if I miss my heavenly food. Just as you once said, most merciful Jesus, when you were preaching to the people and healing diseases of every sort, I must not send them away fasting, or perhaps they will grow faint on their journey. Feed me now, as you did those people then, seeing that you have left yourself in this sacrament for the comfort of the faithful. You are the sweet refreshment of the soul, and the man who takes you as he should shall inherit a share in eternal glory. I so often fall and do wrong. I so soon grow sluggish and fall back. And so I must often pray and go to confession and receive your holy body that I may be cleansed, renewed and inspired again. If I keep away too long, I shall drift from my holy purpose. The thoughts of man are inclined to evil even from his youth. And unless God's cure is applied, he quickly goes from bad to worse. And so Holy Communion serves to pluck a man back from evil and confirm him in what is good. If I am so often thoughtless and unmoved now when I am communicating or celebrating, what would happen if I did not apply this remedy or seek out such a great help? Though I am not fit and in a proper frame of mind to celebrate every day, yet I will take care to receive the divine mysteries at suitable times and to present myself to receive a share of such great grace. For as long as the faithful soul is exiled from your presence in this mortal body, its one chief consolation is to think often of its God, and to receive its beloved with a heart full of devotion. How wonderful is the meekness of your love to us! For you, O Lord God, the Creator and Giver of life to every spirit, humble yourself enough to come to the poverty-stricken soul, and in your full Godhead and humanity you pour out your riches to satisfy its hungry need. How happy the mind, and how blessed the soul, that is found worthy to receive her Lord and God with devotion, and in receiving him be filled with spiritual joy. How great the Lord that she receives, how lovely the guest that she invites, how delightful a companion, how faithful a friend she finds, how fair and noble a bridegroom she embraces, one to be loved beyond all that is dear and all that can be desired. My dearest beloved, before your face may heaven and earth and all that makes them fair keep silent. All their praise and their loveliness are gifts from your generous hand, and they cannot compare with the loveliness of the name of God, whose wisdom is beyond measure. Many good things are imparted through Holy Communion, to those who approach devoutly. The Disciple O Lord my God, come to meet your servant with the blessings of your sweetness, so that I may be enabled to draw near devoutly and as I ought to your wonderful sacrament. Stir up my heart with love for you. Strip off the indifference that numbs me. Come and strengthen me with your aid, so that my spirit may drink in your sweetness, concealed within this sacrament, as in a hidden fountain. Give light to my eyes, so that I may see this great mystery. Strengthen me with undoubting faith to believe it. 
For here you are at work. It's no human power. It's your holy institution, and no contrivance of man. No man of himself is capable of grasping and understanding these things, which are beyond even the subtlety of angels. I am an unworthy sinner, nothing but dust and ashes. How can I look into this deep secret and understand it? Lord, I come to you with all the sincerity of my heart, and with good, firm faith. I come with hope and reverence, because you have commanded it, and I truly believe that you are present here in this sacrament, both God and man. It's your wish that I should receive you and become one with you in love. I therefore pray you for your mercy and beg you to grant me special grace so that I may melt away in love and be absorbed in you, no more concerned for any outside comfort. For this sacrament is most high and most worthy. It's the health of soul and body, the remedy for every sickness of the spirit. By it, my faults are cured, my passions curbed, temptations overcome or weakened. Grace is outpoured in richer measure, virtue that has taken root is strengthened, faith is increased, hope made strong, divine love takes fire and spreads. O God, comforter of the soul, help of human weakness, giver of every inward joy, when those you love communicate devoutly, you have poured out on them abundant blessings in this sacrament and you still do so. For on your beloved you bestow abundant comfort to help them in every kind of trouble. You raise them from the depths of dejection to trust in your loving care, and in their hearts you refresh and enlighten them by some new grace. And so those who before communion felt anxious and empty of affection find themselves refreshed by the heavenly food and drink and changed to a better state. You deal like this with your chosen ones in wisdom, so that they may truly and unmistakably recognize how weak they are of themselves, and how far they depend on you for grace and goodness. Of themselves they are cold, hard, and empty of devotion, but through you they become fervent, eager, devout. Who can come in humility to the fountain of sweetness, without carrying away a little sweetness with him? Who can stand near the blazing fire without absorbing a little warmth? And you are a fountain that's always full and overflowing, a fire that ever burns, never dying down. And so, even if I cannot draw freely from the fountain, nor drink my fill, yet will I put my lips to a crack in the heavenly pipe, and get at least a tiny drip, to quench my thirst and keep me from withering away. Even if I am as yet unable to be heavenly through and through, all aflame like the cherubim and seraphim, yet will I try to strive towards devotion and to prepare my heart, so that by humbly receiving the life-giving sacrament I may procure even a flicker of the flame of God. Whatever I lack, good Jesus, most holy Saviour, do you provide for me in your graciousness and kindness. For you are ready to call us all to yourself, when you said, Come to me, all you that labor and are burdened, I will give you rest. I certainly labor with the sweat of my brow, the sorrows of my heart bring me grief. I am burdened with sins, I am harassed by temptations. All kinds of evil emotions enmesh me and hold me down. 
There's no one to help me, no one to set me free and save me, but you, my Lord, my God, my Saviour. To you I commit myself and all I have, that you may watch over me and guide me to eternal life. Receive me, and so your name shall be praised and glorified, seeing that you have set out your body and blood to be my food and drink. O Lord God, my Saviour, grant that as this mystery is repeated, so my love and devotion may grow. The Dignity of the Sacrament and the Position of the Priest The Voice of the Beloved If you had the purity of angels and the holiness of St. John the Baptist, you would not be fit to receive or handle this sacrament. It is not due to any merit on the part of man that a man should consecrate and handle the sacrament of Christ and take for his food the bread of angels. It is an exalted ministry that the priest fulfills, and his rank is high, for to him is given a thing which is not granted to angels, for only priests, duly ordained in the church, have the power to celebrate Mass and consecrate the body of Christ. Now a priest is the minister of God, using the word of God by God's command and institution, but it's God who is the chief author there. He is the unseen operator. All his wishes are carried out, all his commands obeyed. In this most excellent sacrament, therefore, you should put your trust in God, the All-Powerful, not in your own feelings or in any outward sign. So it is with awe and reverence that you should approach this work. Consider yourself, and see what kind of ministry has been entrusted to you by the laying on of the bishop's hands. You have actually been made a priest, and consecrated to celebrate Mass. See, then, that you offer sacrifice to God in due time with faith and devotion, and show yourself blameless. You have not made your task lighter, but now you are bound with a tighter bond of discipline, and greater perfection in holiness is required of you. A priest must be clothed with all the virtues, and must show to others the example of a good life. His manner of life is not that of the ordinary and common ways of men, but is shared with the angels in heaven, or perfect men on earth. When the priest is wearing the holy vestments, he stands in the place of Christ, so that he may humbly and prayerfully entreat God both for himself and for all the people. Before and behind he bears the sign of the Lord's cross, so that he may continually remember the passion of Christ. Before him he bears the cross on the chasuble, so that he may carefully mark the footsteps of Christ and make it his fervent desire to follow in them. On his back he is signed with a cross, so that he may, for God's sake, endure with mildness any adversity that others bring upon him. He bears the cross before him, so that he may mourn his own sins. He bears it behind him, so that he may in compassion grieve for others' sins as well, and so that he may realize that he has been set in the midst between God and the sinner, and never grow weary of prayer and the holy oblation until his prayer for grace and mercy wins an answer. When the priest offers Mass, he honors God, he brings joy to the angels, he builds up the church. The living he helps, and for the departed he obtains rest, and himself he makes a sharer in all good things. The disciple asks how to prepare for communion. O Lord, when I consider your excellence and my own worthlessness, I am very much afraid and stand in dismay. If I do not approach, I am taking myself away from you, who are my God. 
but if I present myself in an unfit state, I incur your displeasure. O oh God, you are my helper and my counselor in need. What am I to do? Teach me the right way. Set before me some brief exercise suitable for Holy Communion. I need to know how to prepare my heart for you in devotion and reverence if I am to receive your sacrament to my salvation or if I am to celebrate a sacrifice so great and so divine. Examine your conscience and resolve to amend. The voice of the Beloved Above all else, when God's priest is going to celebrate the sacrament, to handle and receive it, he must approach with great humility in his heart and with lowly reverence. He must come in full faith with the loving intention of honoring God. Look very carefully into your conscience and clean and purify it to the best of your ability by true repentance and humble confession. Then you will have nothing on your mind, no awareness of guilt that will disquiet you and prevent you from approaching freely. You must feel disgust at all your sins in general and sorrow and pain in particular for the things you do wrong every day. If you have time, confess to God in the secrecy of your heart the wretched state of all your emotions. You must feel sorry and bewail the fact that you are still so unspiritual and worldly, still so much alive to all your personal desires, so full of turbulent longings, so unguarded where your senses are concerned, so often wrapped up in foolish imaginings, so attracted outward things, so remiss about the life within so easily induced to laughter and want of control, so hardened against tears and compunction, so ready for ease and physical comfort, so reluctant when it comes to austerity and fervor, so eager to hear news and see pleasant things, so slow to embrace what is lowly and poor, so desirous to have many things, so mean in giving, so grasping to keep what you have, so thoughtless when you speak, so talkative when silence should be observed, so unsettled in your habits, so impatient in all you do, so eager over food, so deaf to the word of God, so quick to rest, so slow to toil, so wide awake to listen to gossip, so sleepy at the sacred vigils, so eager to get to the end, so wandering in attention so perfunctory in reciting divine office, so cold in celebrating Mass, so unmoved in receiving communion, so easily distracted, so rarely fully recollected, so quickly moved to anger, so apt to take offense at others, so ready to judge, so harsh in finding fault, so happy in prosperity, so feeble when things go wrong, so full of good intentions and achieving such poor results. When you have confessed and wept over these and all your other failings with sorrow and real dissatisfaction at your weakness, set up a firm resolve to be always improving your life and to make better progress. Then, in complete surrender, wholeheartedly offer up yourself to the honor of my name as a perpetual burnt offering on the altar of your heart committing your body and soul in faith to me. So you will be enabled to come worthily to offer sacrifice to God and to take the sacrament of my body to your salvation. The most worthy offering 
and the best satisfaction for washing out sins is the total offering of oneself to God with the offering of the body of Christ in Mass and Communion. If a man does what he can and truly repents, whenever he comes to me for mercy and for grace, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the sinner. I would have him leave his sinning and live on, for his transgressions shall be forgotten and he shall be forgiven them all. Christ's offering on the cross and our surrender of ourselves. The voice of the Beloved. I freely surrendered myself to God the Father for your sins, with my hands spread out on the cross and my body stripped. I kept nothing back, but let all be transformed into a sacrifice to appease the divine anger. And every day in the Mass, you too, of your own free will, should offer yourself to me as a pure and holy offering with all your powers and affections from the very depths of your heart. I ask nothing more of you than that you should seek to surrender yourself entirely to me. I'm not interested in anything you give me other than yourself. It's not your gifts I want, but you. If you possessed everything except me, you would not find satisfaction. In the same way, nothing you give me can please me if you do not give yourself. Give yourself to me. Offer yourself wholly for God's sake, and your offering will be accepted. Think of this. I offered myself wholly to the Father for your sake. I even gave my whole body and blood to feed you, so that I should be entirely yours, and you should be kept mine. If you hold to yourself, and do not willingly surrender yourself to my will, there is something missing from your offering, and the union between us cannot be complete. If you want to achieve liberty and grace, the heartfelt offering of yourself into the hands of God ought to go before all that you do. The reason why so few people become spiritually enlightened and interiorly free is because they do not know how to practice complete self-denial. What I said still holds good. None of you can be my disciple if he does not renounce all that he has. So if you want to be my disciple, offer yourself to me with all the affections of your heart. We must offer to God ourselves and all that we have and pray for all people. The voice of the disciple O Lord, everything in heaven and on earth is yours. I want to bring you myself as a free will offering and to remain yours forever. O Lord, with a simple heart, I offer you myself today to be your servant always, to obey you and to offer you continually the sacrifice of praise. Receive me, together with the holy oblation of your precious body, which I offer you today in the unseen presence of angels who assist me. May it bring salvation to me and to all your people. O Lord, I bring you all my sins and all the wrong things I have done in your sight and in the sight of your holy angels from the very first day I was capable of sinning right up to this present time. I offer them on your altar of atonement, so that you may burn them all together, consume them in the flame of your love, wipe out all the stains of my sins, and cleanse my conscience from every wrong. Restore to me the gift of your grace which I lost by sinning. Forgive me in full, and in your mercy receive me back with a kiss of peace. What can I do for my sins except confess them humbly, grieve for them, and beg without ceasing 
for your merciful forgiveness. I do pray to you, hear me, O God, in mercy, as I stand before you. The thought of all my sins is hateful to me, and I never want to commit them again. I am sorry for them, and shall be sorry for them, as long as I live. I am ready to do penance and make amends to the best of my ability. Forgive me, O God, forgive me my sins for the sake of your holy name. Save this soul of mine which you have redeemed with your precious blood. Here I am, I commit myself to your mercy and resign myself into your hands. Deal with me as your goodness prompts, not as my wickedness and sinful ways deserve. I also bring you all I have that is good, though it's imperfect and there's little of it. I pray you to improve it and sanctify it, to look favorably on it and make it worthy of acceptance. Draw it always nearer to perfection, and lead me also, lazy, useless, and pitiable as I am, to a good and blessed end. I also bring you all the holy desires of those who love you, the needs of parents, friends, brothers, sisters, of all I hold dear, and of all who for love of you have done some kindness to myself or others. And I bring you the needs of all who have asked me to pray for them and offer Mass for them and for those they love, whether they're still alive and in the body or whether they've gone from this world. May they all know the help of your grace, the aid of your comfort, protection from danger and release from punishment. May they be delivered from every evil and praise you with joy and thanksgiving. I also offer you prayers and the atoning sacrifice, especially for those who've harmed me in some way, who've made me unhappy or abused me, caused me some loss or inflicted some burden. Also for those whom I have made unhappy at any time, whom I have distressed, burdened or shocked by word or deed, knowingly or unknowingly. Forgive us all equally for our sins and the wrongs we have done each other. Take away from our hearts, Lord, all suspicion, resentment, anger and quarrelling, anything that can harm charity and lessen brotherly affection. Take pity, O Lord, take pity on those who seek your mercy. Give grace to those who need it. Grant that we may so live that we may be found worthy to enjoy your grace and attain eternal life. Amen. We must not lightly forego Holy Communion. I'll just say this first before starting to read that this book was written over 500 years ago when people received Holy Communion maybe ordinary people only two or three times a year and so some parts will seem strange it was St. Pius X at the beginning of this century who restored the practice of receiving communion to its primitive and, uh, and correct way of making Holy Communion seem part of the Mass The voice of the Beloved. If you are to be healed of your passions and faults, if you are to find strength and vigilance in the face of all the temptations and wiles of the devil, you must return time and again to the spring of grace and divine mercy, to the wellhead of goodness and all purity. The devil knows the great help and healing that lie in Holy Communion, so he tries as hard as he can in every way to draw the faithful and devout away and to keep them from it. It's when they set about preparing themselves for Holy Communion that some people suffer the worst attacks of Satan. For the wicked spirit himself, as it says in the book of Job, comes among the sons of God so that he can upset them with his practiced villainy 
and make them fearful or perplexed. He hopes in this way to weaken their desire or attack their faith and destroy it, so that they will either abandon communion altogether or come half-heartedly. But you must not pay any attention to his tricks and suggestions, however foul and frightening they may be, but hurl all such imaginings back on his own head. You must scorn the wretch and laugh at him. Holy communion must not be neglected by any of his assaults and commotions. People are often hindered by being too anxious to feel devotion and by worrying about their confession. Follow the advice of the wise and lay aside worry and doubt because they are a hindrance to the grace of God and destroy the spirit of devotion. Do not put off Holy Communion because of some little trouble or weight on your mind, but go quickly to confession and freely forgive others for all they have done to offend you. If you have offended anyone else, humbly pray for mercy and God will readily forgive you. What good does it do to put off your confession and communion? Cleanse yourself as soon as possible. Spit out the poison at once. Come quickly for the remedy, and you will feel better than if you keep waiting. If you put it off today for one reason, perhaps something more will happen tomorrow, and so you might be kept from communion for a long time and become all the less ready for it. Shake off this heaviness and inertia as soon as you can. There's no point in tormenting yourself and being ill at ease and keeping yourself away from the sacraments because of obstacles that arise afresh every day. It does much harm to put off receiving communion for a long time, because so doing often makes a man spiritually lazy. It's a shameful fact that some easy-going folk are glad to find an excuse for putting off their confession, and they want to postpone holy communion for fear they might be obliged to live stricter lives. How feeble their love must be, and how weak their devotion when they find it so easy to put off receiving our Lord. On the other hand, a man is happy in his heart and pleasing to God if he keeps his conscience unstained and lives in such a way that he is prepared and ready to communicate every day if he is permitted, and if he can do so without causing others to comment. If a man keeps away sometimes out of humility or for some legitimate cause, he deserves praise for his reverent attitude. But if it's laziness that has crept up on him, he must exert himself and shake himself free. Then the Lord will strengthen his desire because of his good intention, for it's our intentions that God specially regards. When a man is genuinely prevented, he will always have a good intention and a holy desire to communicate, and so he will not be deprived of the fruit of the sacrament. Every devout soul can freely receive Christ in spiritual communion every day and at every hour to his own great profit. For he shares a mystical communion and is invisibly refreshed whenever he devoutly meditates on the mystery of Christ's incarnation and his passion and is filled with a burning love for him. Yet on certain days and at proper times he should with love and reverence receive the body of his Redeemer sacramentally but seeking rather to praise and honor God than find comfort for himself. A man who prepares for Holy Communion only because a festival is approaching or because he has to conform to custom will often be unprepared. If a man offers himself to God as a whole burnt offering whenever he celebrates Mass or communicates, then he is really blessed. When you are celebrating, do not be too slow or too quick, but observe the good and normal practice 
of those with whom you live. You should not cause others irritation or annoyance, but follow the ordinary way of saying Mass as laid down, and consider the good of others rather than your own feelings and devotion. The body of Christ and the Holy Scriptures are very necessary to the faithful soul. The voice of the disciple. Sweetest Lord Jesus, what delight fills the devout soul as it feasts with you at your banquet. There, no other food is set before it but you, its soul beloved, desirable beyond all that heart can long for. How sweet it would be if I could weep for love in your presence and wash your feet with tears, as did the loving Magdalene. But where is this love? Where is this flood of holy tears? As I stand before you and before your holy angels, my whole heart shall be burning and weeping tears of joy, since you are really present to me in the sacrament. It's true that you are hidden under a different form, but my eyes could not bear to look at you in the full brightness of your divinity. Not even the world itself could survive the brilliance of your majesty and glory. And so when you conceal yourself beneath the sacrament, it's my weakness you consider. Yet I really have and adore the one whom angels adore in heaven. I, only by faith, but they as he is, with no veil between. I must content myself with the light of true faith and guide my steps by it, until the day of eternal brightness breaks over me and all shadowy symbols retire. When the time of fulfillment comes, the use of sacraments will cease, for the blessed ones in the glory of heaven have no need of the healing power of the Holy Eucharist. They rejoice endlessly in the presence of God, seeing His glory face to face, and are transfigured as they borrow glory from the glory of the infinite Godhead and taste the word of God made flesh, who was from the first and lasts for ever. When I think of all these wonderful things, even spiritual comfort becomes distasteful to me, because as long as I am not seeing my Lord openly and in His glory, I can find no value in anything I see or hear in this world. O oh God, you know it's true that nothing can comfort me, that no created thing can satisfy my longing, but only you, my God, whom I long to gaze on forever. But that's impossible as long as I remain in this mortal body. So I must be prepared to exercise patience and with all my desiring to submit myself to you. While they were alive, the saints who now rejoice with you in the kingdom of heaven had to wait in faith and patience for the dawning of your glory. What they believed, I believe. The hopes they held, I hold. And through your grace I trust that I shall reach the place where they have gone. Meanwhile, I will guide my steps by faith and draw strength from the example of the saints. I also have my holy books to comfort me and to show me how to live. And above all, I have your most holy body to be my only remedy and refuge. There are two things I find very necessary to me in this life, and without them, this wretched existence would be unbearable. As long as I am detained in the prison of the body, I need two things, and they are light and food. Therefore you have given your holy body to strengthen my weak mind and body, and you have given your word for a lamp to guide my feet. Without these two things, I cannot live as I ought, for the word of God is the light of my soul, and your sacrament, the bread that gives me life. They are like two tables, one on this side and one on that, in the treasure house of Holy Church. 
One table is the sacred altar with the holy bread, that is, the precious body of Christ. The other is the law of God containing the holy doctrine, which teaches us the true faith and leads us unfalteringly to that inner sanctuary beyond the veil. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this table of sacred doctrine, which you've prepared for us through the prophets and apostles and other teachers who were your servants. O Creator and Redeemer of men, I thank you for your love which you have displayed to the whole world by preparing this great banquet. In this feast you set before us not the Lamb of the Old Testament, but your own most precious body and blood. All the faithful you fill with joy at this sacred banquet, making them merry with a cup of salvation, in which all the delights of paradise are found. And together with us, the holy angels are feasting, though with a sweeter joy than ours. How great and honorable is the task of a priest, for it's he who is allowed to use the sacred words and consecrate the Lord of Majesty. It's the priest that blesses him with his lips, holds him in his hands, takes him with his mouth, and ministers him to others. How clean his hands must be, how pure his mouth, how holy his body, how free from stain his heart, seeing that the author of all purity so often enters him. From his lips must come nothing that's not holy, honorable, and worthwhile, seeing that he so often receives the sacrament of Christ. His eyes must be sincere and modest, where they look on the body of Christ. His hands must be pure and raised to heaven, where they handle the Creator of heaven and earth. It's to the priest especially that the command in the law is addressed, You must be holy as I am holy, I the Lord your God. God of all power, may your grace help us who have undertaken the duties of the priesthood, so that we may be able to serve you worthily and with devotion, with purity and a good conscience. If we are unable to live such blameless lives as we ought, grant that we may at least lament the wrong we've done, and serve you from now on with greater fervor, with a humble heart and with a right intention. You should prepare yourself with great care when you're going to receive Christ in Holy Communion. The Voice of the Beloved I am one that loves purity, and my gift is holiness. It's a pure heart that I seek, and there I take my rest. Prepare me a large upper room, furnished, and I will eat the Paschal meal at your house with my disciples. If you want me to come to you and stay with you, you must rid yourself of the old leaven. You must clean the house of your heart. Shut out all the world and all the tumult of your sins. Sit down by yourself like a sparrow on the housetop and think over your evil deeds in all the bitterness of your soul. Any lover who is receiving her beloved prepares the best and finest place she can for him, for this is a sign of her love. But you must realize that you can never do enough by your own efforts to prepare yourself for your beloved, not even if you were to prepare for a whole year and never think of anything else. It's only through my love and grace that you are allowed to come to my table at all. You're like a beggar invited to a rich man's dinner who can do nothing to repay his kindness but humbly offer his thanks. Do all you can and do it as well as you can and not from habit or because you must 
but with awe and reverence and love receive the body of your beloved Lord as he stoops to come to you. It is I that called you. I commanded this to be done. I will supply your deficiencies. Come then and take me. When I give you the grace of devotion, thank your God for it, not because you've deserved it, but because I have taken pity on you. But if you find yourself without devotion, pray harder, call out, beat on the door, and do not stop until you receive one little drop, one crumb of saving grace. You need me. It is not I that need you. You do not come to sanctify me, but I come to sanctify you and make you a better person. You are coming to be sanctified by me and made one with me to receive fresh grace and fervor that will help you to improve. Do not neglect this grace, but prepare your heart as carefully as you can and welcome into yourself your beloved. But it is not enough to prepare yourself to feel devotion before communion. You must be careful to preserve yourself in that state after receiving the sacrament. Watchfulness afterwards is demanded of you just as much as devout preparation beforehand. For watchfulness afterwards is the best way of preparing yourself for the gift of further grace. Whereas a man loses all fitness for such a blessing if he immediately gives himself over to worldly comforts. Beware of talking too much. Keep yourself apart and enjoy your God. You have Him whom the whole world cannot take from you. I am the one to whom you must wholly surrender yourself, so that from now on you may lose all your care and anxiety and live not in yourself but in me. The devout soul should long wholeheartedly for union with Christ in a sacrament. The Voice of the Disciple If only I could meet you, Lord, alone and tell you the secrets of my heart. If only I could enjoy you as my soul desires without people thinking ill of me. If only there were no created thing to disturb me or give me a thought but you and I could speak together alone as two people who love each other speak or as one friend delights to entertain another. This is what I pray for. This is what I desire, that I may be made entirely one with you, and that I may detach my heart from all created things, and by means of Holy Communion and the frequent celebration of Mass, learn more and more to savor what is heavenly and eternal. O Lord God, when shall I be one with you, absorbed in you, with no more thought of self, you in me and I in you? O make us one for ever. You are truly my beloved, to be known among ten thousand. My soul is content to dwell in you forever. You are truly my peacemaker, my deepest peace and truest rest. Away from you there is only toil and pain and endless wretchedness. Truly you are a hidden God, and your ways are not revealed to the ungodly, though you do converse with the humble and simple. O oh Lord, how sweet your spirit is! You are ready to refresh your children with that sweet bread that comes down from heaven in order to show them your kindness. Indeed, no other nation is so great. No other nation has gods that draw near to it as our God draws near to all those who are faithful to him. For to them, O God, 
you give yourself to eat and to enjoy for their daily comfort and to raise their hearts to heaven. What other nation can boast as the people of Christ can boast? Or is there any creature beneath heaven that is loved like the soul that is devout? God himself comes to that soul and feeds it with his own glorious body. What inexpressible grace, what unbelievable mercy, what boundless love poured out on man and on no other. What return shall I make to the Lord for this grace, for his wonderful love? I can do nothing that will please him more than give him my whole heart and unite it closely to him. And then, when my soul is perfectly joined to God, all that is within me will leap for joy. Then he will say to me, If you wish to be with me, then it's my wish to be with you. And I shall reply to him, Lord, stay with me in your mercy. I'm very glad to be with you. The one thing that I desire is for my heart to be one with you. On the burning desire which certain devout people feel for the body of Christ. The Disciple O Lord, how great your goodness reserved for those who fear you. When I think of certain devout people who approach your sacrament, Lord, with such great devotion and longing, I'm often utterly ashamed. I blush to think that I come so coldly and indifferently to your altar and to Holy Communion, and that my heart remains so dry and unloving. Dear God, I feel no consuming flame in your presence. I'm not drawn and moved as many devout people have been, who could not keep back their tears for their eager longing for communion and the love that moved their hearts. Their bodies, no less than their souls, gasped, my God, for you, the living water. They could not satisfy or appease their hunger except by receiving your body with joy and spiritual longing. Their faith was a true and burning faith, a clear proof of your holy presence. For the people who really recognize their Lord in the breaking of bread are those whose hearts burn within them as Jesus walks with them. But such feeling and devotion, such powerful love and longing, are often far from me. Good Jesus, you are so kind and gracious. Be merciful to me. Grant that this needy, destitute creature may sometimes in Holy Communion feel even a little love for you staring in my heart. Grant that my faith may be strengthened, my hope in your goodness increased, that love may be kindled and once it's tasted the heavenly manna may never die away. Your pity is able to grant even to me this longed-for grace, and when the time that you choose has come, to visit me in mercy and set my heart aflame. I may not burn with the great longing that those people feel who are your specially devoted servants, yet through your grace I at least long for the longing that burns in them, and I pray and entreat you that I may be joined with all those who love you with such an ardent love, and may be counted among their holy company. The grace of devotion is acquired through humility and self-denial. The voice of the Beloved If you desire the grace of devotion, you must seek it unceasingly, ask for it earnestly, and wait for it with patience and faith. When it comes, you must receive it thankfully, preserve it humbly, use it thoughtfully. 
and leave to God the time and the manner of his heavenly visitation. When you feel little or no devotion in your heart, then is the time to humble yourself. But you must not be too dejected nor unduly despondent. For God often gives in one brief moment what he's long been keeping from you, and sometimes grants at the end of your prayer the thing he held back at first. If grace were always given quickly and could be had for the asking, it would prove more than feeble mankind could endure. That is why you have to wait for the grace of devotion with a good hope and humble patience. When devotion is not granted you, or is even quietly removed, you must blame yourself and your sins. It's sometimes quite a small thing which hinders grace or hides it. If it can be called a small thing, and not a serious one, when it keeps you from such a blessing. But whether it be small or great, once you have got rid of it and overcome it completely, you will have the thing you asked for. As soon as you surrender yourself to God with all your heart, and no longer desire this or that at your own wish and whim, but let yourself depend entirely on Him, you will find yourself one with Him and at peace. For nothing will then give you so much satisfaction and delight as doing the will of God. If a man in all sincerity directs his whole intention to God, if he empties himself of every undisciplined dislike or love for any created thing, then he will be fit to receive the gift of grace and will be worthy of the blessing of devotion. For God pours out his blessing into vessels he finds empty. It's when a man renounces all that is base, scorns the claims of self, and dies to all that self involves. It's then that grace can come to him quickly and in abundance, and bear his heart unhindered to the heights. Then his heart will overflow with wonder and gratitude at what he sees, because the hand of God is with him, and he has placed himself totally in God's hand for ever. Such is the blessing that awaits a man who makes God the whole quest of his heart, and never sets his heart on worthless things. When this sort of man receives Holy Communion, he's found fit for the grace of union with God, because he's not thinking of his personal devotion and comfort, but above all devotion and comfort, he's thinking of the glory and honor of God. We should tell Christ of our difficulties and ask for his grace. The voice of the disciple. Most gentle and loving Lord, I long to receive you now with devotion. You know my weakness and my need. You know the evils and the sins that hold me. You know how often I am burdened, tempted, troubled, defiled. I come to you for healing. I beg for help and comfort. I call on you, for you know all things and see all my secret being. You only can comfort me and bring me lasting help. You know what good things I have most need of. You know how poor I am in virtue. Here I stand before you, naked and destitute, begging you for grace, imploring you for mercy. Feed me, for I come hungry to your door. Melt my coldness with the fire of your love, and with the brightness of your presence make my darkness light. Turn all earthly things to bitterness for me. May I bear patiently all that is difficult and hard to accept. May I scorn and forget all that is base and created. Lift up my heart to you in heaven, and do not send me away to wander on the earth. Make yourself my sole delight, 
from now on and forever. For you are my only food and drink, my love and joy, my sweetness and all my good. How I long for you to set my whole being aflame with your presence, to consume me and change me into you, to make me one spirit with yourself through the grace of inward union and the burning love that dissolves me in its heat. Do not let me go away from you barren and loveless, but deal with me mercifully, as you have so often and so wonderfully dealt with your saints. In your presence I may well lose myself and be wholly turned to flame, for you are a fire that burns forever, never dying down, a love that purifies the heart and fills the mind with light. Concerning that burning love and eager longing to receive Christ, the disciple, with deep devotion and fervent love, with all the affection and warmth of my heart, I long to receive you, Lord, as did, when they went to communion, all those saints and devout people who pleased you by their holy lives and burning devotion. O oh God, eternal love, my whole good, my endless blessedness, I want to receive you with the deepest longings and the most worthy reverence that any of the saints ever had or could have. I know I am not fit to have those feelings of devotion, yet I offer you all the love of my heart, just as if those wonderful fires of longing could be concentrated in me alone. Whatever a loving soul can feel and desire, that I bring and offer you, with the deepest reverence and affection in my heart. I do not want to keep anything back for myself, but gladly, out of my own free will, I sacrifice to you myself and all I have. O oh Lord my God, my Creator and Redeemer, I long to receive you today with affection and reverence, with praise and honor, with thanks, respect and love, with faith and hope and purity, just as your most holy mother, the glorious Virgin Mary, longed for you and received you when the angel brought her news of the mystery of the Incarnation, and she humbly and devoutly replied, I am the handmaid of the Lord, let what you said be done to me. Your blessed herald, John the Baptist, the most excellent of the saints, rejoiced in your presence and leapt with the joy of the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb. And later, when he saw Jesus walking about among men, he humbled himself and with love and devotion said, The bridegroom's friend, who stands there and listens, is glad when he hears the bridegroom's voice. In the same way, I long to be filled with a burning holy desire and to offer you myself wholeheartedly. For that reason, I present and offer to you the rejoicings of all hearts that are devout, their burning love, their ecstasies, their heavenly visions, their times of illumination from above. I offer them with all the virtues and all the praises that have been or shall be sung by every creature in heaven and on earth, on my own behalf and on behalf of all those who have been commended to my prayers. May they all render you the praise they owe and glorify you forever. O Lord my God, receive my prayer and my desire to praise you forever and bless you endlessly, all of which I owe you for the immensity of your unutterable greatness. This I offer and desire to offer every day and every moment of every day. To offer thanks and praise along with me, I invite and exhort by my prayers and longings all heavenly spirits and all your faithful people. Let all people praise you, 
all tribes and tongues, and let them with jubilation and burning love praise your holy name, sweet as honey on the tongue. May all those who offer the most holy sacrifice with reverence and devotion, and receive the most holy sacrament in full faith, be granted grace and mercy, and may they prayerfully entreat you on behalf of me, a sinner. When they have experienced that long-for devotion and the joy of union with you, as they come away comforted and wonderfully refreshed from the holy heavenly table, may they be so kind as to remember me in my poverty, a poor sinner. Do not investigate the blessed sacrament to satisfy your curiosity, but follow Christ humbly, subordinating understanding to holy faith. The Voice of the Beloved You must beware of trying to fathom the mysteries of this sacrament out of useless curiosity, unless you want to be drowned in a flood of doubt. As the proverb puts it, He who searches after majesty will be overwhelmed by glory. God can do more than man can understand. What you are allowed is to have a devout and humble search for truth, such that you are always ready to learn and eager to direct your steps according to the sound views of the fathers. It's a simple approach that is blessed, one that avoids the thorny paths of debate and marches along the firm, smooth road of God's commands. Many people have destroyed their devotion by trying to look into things too deep for them. It is faith that is expected of you, an honest living, not profound understanding and deep knowledge of the mysteries of God. If you cannot grasp or understand things that are less than yourself, how will you take in greater ones? You must submit to God and subordinate understanding to faith. Then you will be given the light of knowledge insofar as you need it, and it is good for you. Some people are hard tempted as regards faith and the sacrament, but it is not they who are to be blamed so much as your enemy, the devil. Pay no attention to such attacks. Do not argue in your own mind or try to answer the doubts the devil hurls against you. Trust the word of God, believe his saints and prophets, and you will put your wicked enemy to flight. It's often very good for God's servant to endure this sort of thing. The devil does not tempt the faithless and the wicked, for he has them in his power. But he does tempt and harass the devout and faithful in all the ways he can. You must press on with simple, undoubting faith. Approach the sacrament with prayerful reverence, and calmly leave with God the All-Powerful whatever you cannot understand. God does not deceive you, but you will be deceived if you trust too much to yourself. God walks with simple folk, reveals himself to the humble, and gives understanding to his little ones. He shows his truths to minds that are pure, and hides his grace from the proud and curious. Human understanding is weak and easily deceived, but true faith cannot be led astray. Understanding and inquiry should follow faith, not precede and weaken it. In this holy and most excellent sacrament, it is faith and love that are all important, and they work in secret ways. God, who is eternal, infinite, supremely mighty, 
does great and unfathomable things in heaven and on earth, and there's no understanding his wonderful works. If the works of God could easily be grasped by human understanding, they could not be called wonderful or too great for words. The end of the book. May Jesus Christ be praised. <laughs>